Chapters fifty seven and fifty eight of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fifty seven. Ah, love, my hope is swooning in my heart. Sylvia and her belongings landed at Antwerp early in the morning after they left St. Catherine's Wharf. Céline, the French maid, was quite in her element amidst all the bustle and confusion of the quay, since many of those jabbering tongues which made a babble around the travellers jabbered in French. But poor Mrs. Tringfold gazed about her in helpless amazement, as much alarmed as if she had found herself amidst a tribe of North American Indians or the dark aborigines of Central Africa. "'I never could abide foreigners,' she muttered to herself, since there was none other to whom she could confide her emotions and to live among them must be awful not knowing what one's eating or drinking or if the natives mayn't be laying a plan to murder one i'm sure they all look like it lady Perriam made short work of the ordeal with the custom-house officials who glanced with an indulgent eye at the portmanteau of so liberal a lady and then had her child and nurse and maid put into a coach and whisked off to the hotel st antoine she did not think it advisable to put up at the hotel where mr standon was staying she chose her rooms a bedroom for tringfold and the child opening out of hers a saloon with three windows gorgeous with crimson velvet and looking-glass altogether a princely suite of apartments but this splendour evoked no admiration for mrs tringfold the rooms are handsome enough she said to Céline, who happily understood english but they're not homely i feel a something wanting in them breakfast was served for my lady in the solitary grandeur of the saloon tringfold and Céline took their refection in a smaller apartment which did duty for day-nursery tringfold brightened a little at sight of a beefsteak and fried potatoes which she confessed was more unsophisticated than she could have expected from foreign cooks but i shouldn't wonder if it was horse-flesh for all that she added dubiously horse-flesh or ox-flesh however tringfold ate and with an appetite she had been prostrated with seasickness during the passage and her inside as she informed Céline, was nothing but emptiness lady Perriam's breakfast was a briefer business she ate a morsel of roll drank a cup of coffee and then made her toilette before going to the hotel peter paul in quest of edmund standon she was feverishly impatient for their meeting fearing lest some evil hazard should prevent it he might have left antwerp without waiting for a reply to his letter swiftly as she had hastened to answer his question with her own lips she might be too late fate had been against them heretofore how haggard i look she thought as she put on her bonnet before the strange looking-glass strange mirrors are no flatterers they are apt to give a green and sickly hue to the human countenance like that despondent view of life which obtains in some minds lady Perriam's deep mourning intensified the pallor of her tired face the hazel eyes had a heavy look it was still perfect beauty but not the fresh young loveliness that had smiled upon edmund standard in the half-light under the chestnut tree love will make me beautiful again when i am with him she said to herself she ordered a fly and drove off to the hotel peter paul a large and somewhat gloomy-looking hostelry not far from the famous rubens house which travellers go to see here she asked for mr standon yes there was an english monsieur of that name in the hotel he was at that moment writing his letters in a private room would madame desire that he should be summoned or would she go to his apartment madame said she would go to his apartment the waiter led her up a slippery staircase to a room on the first floor 
a room fronting the big empty square which wakes into spasmodic life only on market days how sylvia's heart beat as she followed the man up the stairs along the corridor till he tapped at one of the tall doors to which tap came the brief answer in a voice she knew entrez it was not the waiter but sylvia who entered edmund was writing at a table near a window with his back to the door and did not even look round or lift his head expecting no one but the waiter sylvia went close to his chair and touched him lightly on the shoulder at that light touch he started to his feet saw the lovely face looking at him pleadingly and clasped her in his arms sylvia is this your answer he cried rapturously forgotten his dishonour his broken promise his mother's wrath esther's sorrow all forgotten in that exquisite bliss what other answer would you have she asked half reproachfully looking up at him with tear-dimmed eyes haven't i told you that i never ceased to love you what better answer could you expect to the most foolish question that was ever asked i am yours edmund yours to the end of life why did you run away from me i did not run away from you but from my own disgrace i have behaved like a scoundrel i execrate myself for my folly in ever believing that i could forget you or live without you yes that was a mistake certainly replied sylvia with a serene smile she felt now that the world was her own cleopatra with antony at her feet could not have felt a more complete sense of sovereignty or a greater contempt for octavia than sylvia felt for miss rochdale a mistake that caused pain to another said edmund self-accusingly for him conscience would never be silent not even at this supreme hour when he had sylvia's bright brown head lying on his breast sylvia's eyes looking up at him radiant with triumphant love bah it was miss rochdale's own fault if she was deceived she knew how fond you had been of me two years ago she should have known that you had no heart to give her she believed in my honesty of purpose sylvia she did me the honour to trust my word only to discover that i had lied to her she will never know that i lied to myself as well go back to your miss rochdale cried sylvia snatching herself from his arms it is clear you care more for her than for me you know i do not sylvia you know that i tried to care for her tried to set her in your vacant place to look forward hopefully to a future shared with her but i could not your spell held me too strongly did it cried sylvia i'm glad of that do you believe in the power of one mind over another i do often and often in those slow wretched days at perium after after sir aubrey's death when i hoped you would come to see me and you did not come i used to fold my arms upon my breast and close my eyes and try to send my will to rule yours edmund come to me i used to say edmund be true to me edmund i love you give me love for love did the charm work it did he answered clasping her to his heart again they were lovers once more betrothed all in all to each other standing alone in their own narrow world as in the old days under the chestnut tree the charm did work sylvia but it was the old charm the same spell which bound me that spring day when i saw you first in headingham church i was never released from that sweet thraldom i only fancied myself free you are my prisoner for evermore said sylvia clasping her arms lightly round her lover's neck as he bent his head towards her 
and now edmund let us talk of the future she went on releasing him from that gentle bondage and seating herself by the open window below which lay the sleepy old square white in the noontide sun there is no fear of poverty now no terror of a stern parent disinheriting us no said edmund rather moodily you are rich enough and you are poor poor for my sake and you scorn to owe wealth to me is that it edmund i made myself disagreeable once because there seemed a chance of your being poor and now you are going to make yourself disagreeable because i am rich no sylvia i am too happy to be disagreeable what welcome can i give you glad enough my brave girl for having come to your lover we will care nothing for any world but our own world and if other people despise your husband you will never scorn him will you sylvia scorn you she echoed you know i have always considered you the best and noblest of men yes even when i treated you so hardly we will forget all past sorrows sylvia and now tell me how you came here i have been too surprised and too happy to ask the question any sooner how did you come to antwerp not alone no not alone your mother perhaps came with you the mother for whom you sacrificed yourself she has need to be fond of you and to cling to you sylvia looked embarrassed no she said my mother is not with me was he going to use his right as her betrothed lover and ask all manner of awkward questions she looked away from him uneasily looked down at the broad sunlit place with eyes that hardly saw the tall white houses with their quaint gables and shining windows and little mirrors stuck out to catch the rare reflection of vehicle or pedestrian where is she then darling she should have been with you at such a time as this does she doubt my friendship for her my sylvia's mother would be sacred in my mind she has endured so much sorrow and shrinks from strangers by and by of course it will be different she is staying near london with old friends you need not trouble yourself about her edmund she is amply provided for i have no doubt of that but you said you did not come to antwerp alone i had my son and his nurse with me my own maid as well she saw the little shiver he gave at the mention of her son an involuntary expression of that lurking jealousy with which he had ever regarded the heir of parium here was a claimant for sylvia's love who could never be thrust aside whose claim would strengthen and widen year by year till by and by her natural pride in her first-born might make her almost indifferent to her husband maternal love must needs be an absorbing passion and edmund had sacrificed too much to his mistress to endure the thought of sharing her affection even with her child oh the little boy is here he said with rather a blank look yes edmund he is to be your son henceforward remember i cannot help loving him for his mother's sake if-if what edmund asked sylvia when he hesitated if you do not love him too much you need not be afraid of that she answered with her cold smile i am not a model mother the phrase jarred upon him somehow although but this moment he had been jealous of the child's claim upon her love you shall love him as much as you like darling he said i don't mean to be a cruel stepfather the little one shall be as dear to me as if he were my very son is he not yours and should not that be all sufficient title to my love ah sylvia with a sigh you little know what fond day-dreams i used to weave about your first child 
our first child never mind the past edmund we have the present and the future yes darling happiness has come to us at last and now show me antwerp and all the famous pictures let me seal my letters and then i am at your service you have been writing to your mother i suppose no i wrote yesterday to tell her my whereabouts in case she should care to write to me but i hardly expect a letter i am an outcast from dean house for my sake well perium place is at your disposal till st john is twenty-one twenty long years to look forward to we shall be tired of mansions by that time and glad to fall back upon the comfortable old house which is mine by my marriage settlement but to whom have you written that long letter if not to your mother to my chief at the bank telling him that i can never return to monkhampton and he must get me a post elsewhere tear up your letter then or add a postscript to say that you have done with banking altogether no sylvia if we are to live at perriam place i shall simply cancel this letter and write to tell the directors that with their permission i shall resume my duties a month hence what you mean to stick in an office to earn some paltry pittance of a few hundreds a year when i have an ample income for both of us said sylvia indignantly i mean to be so far as possible just the man i was when i first loved you sylvia and not less independent do you think i could know an hour's happiness if i felt myself a pensioner upon the wealth your first husband left you no dearest let me but earn my living my habits are simple my wants few let me earn my five hundred a year which will more than suffice for my own maintenance and though i may live among splendours that are not my own i shall feel myself not the less an honest working-man not quite unworthy of your love do as you please said sylvia offended but stifling her anger i see you intend to be my master no dearest only the master of my own independence in all reasonable things i will be your slave fifty eight shadrach bain loses the scent mr bain arrived at antwerp the day after that meeting between lady perriam and her lover he had been detained at ostend for some hours arriving in the early summer dawn when only a melancholy waiter with half-shut eyes was to be found astir at the hotel where mr bain sought shelter and refreshment there would be no train to carry him on to antwerp till eight o'clock the slumberous waiter took mr bain into a salle à manger with three long windows curtained with white muslin looking into a dismal courtyard here on a narrow table appeared those pasteboard piles of fruit and those bouquets of painted paper flowers which beautified the daily meal for the patrons of the hotel these decorations seemed never to be removed by night or day since there they were at five o'clock in the morning the traveller seated himself at one end of the table and after waiting about an hour was rewarded with a breakfast of coffee and rolls and a cold fowl this dispatched he perambulated the silent town and the sea-wall thinking his own thoughts and but little moved to admiration by the novelty of the scene around him shall i be in time to find them that was the question which he was perpetually asking of fate and by them he meant sylvia and edmund little by little the shutters were opened shrill-voiced maid-servants appeared and began with vigorous mops to splash and purify the thresholds of doors ostend gradually awoke to life and at last after a delay that had sorely vexed the soul of mr bain the antwerp train started and jogged along the sandy country at the leisurely pace of belgian trains in general 
such a stunted apology for a train as it seemed to mr bain who was accustomed to the west country express with its long line of carriages and screaming engine rushing arrows swift across the face of the country this train travelled at a foot-pace i could have walked faster thought mr bain impatiently as he looked at his opposite neighbour a fat little priest whose breath sent forth odours of garlic as he read his breviary a stalwart matron sat beside mr bain brawny youths and damsels filled the remaining seats and stuffed the carriage with warm humanity the belgian trains contain no more carriages than can be filled to repletion never had mr bain endured such a wearisome journey the innumerable little stations the dust the heat the countrywomen who assailed the travellers with baskets of fruit the everlasting talk and screaming at every halting place the getting in and getting out worried his anxious brain his patience had been sorely exercised by the time the train rumbled into the gloomy antwerp terminus the sun seemed at its hottest as mr bain drove through the streets where everything glared whitely at him happily the drive was short and he found himself at the door of the peter paul hotel there is an english gentleman staying here i believe he began in rather awkward french anglais reste ici nommé standen mr standen was here sir this morning answered the waiter in very fair english he was a german waiter a wanderer on the face of the earth and a linguist he left this morning left at what time this morning this was a death-blow if edmund standen had left antwerp mr bain felt little doubt sylvia had also left the city she could but have come here for one purpose to join her lover he gone she must have gone too you are sure mr standen left antwerp he asked the waiter sure that he did not go to another hotel quite sure sir he drove to the railway station before eight this morning do you know where he was going no sir not exactly but when he first arrived here he told me that he was going on to cologne it is possible that he may have changed his plans but he said nothing to that effect have you had an english lady staying at this house yesterday for instance lady Perriam? there has been no english lady staying in the house sir but an english lady came here yesterday at about noon to see mr standen and they went out together mr standen was absent all day was the lady young and in deep mourning precisely sir young in mourning and extremely pretty that will do have you any idea where the lady was staying it was most likely at the hotel st antoine since mr standen said he had dined at that hotel when he came in last night mr bain rewarded the waiter and drove off to the st antoine there to discover that lady Perriam had been there had taken the principal suite of apartments with the intention of occupying them some time as the manager supposed and had departed with bag and baggage femme de chambre child and nurse that morning at eight o'clock for cologne the manager believed mr bain started for cologne by the first train that would convey him he snatched a hasty savourless meal at the buffet of the railway station and departed without rest or respite sorely tormented in mind they had the start of him and there was no knowing how long they might keep that advantage there was only one thought from which he could derive comfort certain preliminaries must be gone through before mr standen could marry sylvia certain papers procured certain notices given before the knot could be tied these preliminaries would require time for their fulfilment and before the time could elapse mr bain would have overtaken the lovers 
it was night when he arrived at cologne too late for inquiries that must needs occupy considerable time as he had no clue to help him in his search he did what he could he questioned the custom-house officers as to any english travellers who might have arrived at cologne that night but the custom-house people told him that swarms of english travellers arrived at cologne by every train that almost all travellers were english or american which came to the same thing they had no power to distinguish one particular group among the herd of autumnal tourists mr bain began his quest at eight o'clock next morning and pursued it till noon he made his inquiries at every decent hotel in cologne and even at boarding-houses but learned nothing definite no one could tell him of any party answering his description and as to name travellers were for the most part nameless they came and went and the hotel-keepers knew no more of them than of the swallows that flew over the house-tops mr bain ceased from his endeavours thoroughly disheartened knowing not which way to go from cologne they might have taken one of many routes he took the one most frequented and went up the rhine in a steamer stopping at every landing-place everywhere pursuing his search and always vainly then he turned back branched off and explored the line in another direction he spent more than a fortnight in this manner roaming through germany like a modern embodiment of the wandering jew writing to his son every night and appointing the post-office to which his letters were to be sent and thus continuing to keep himself tolerably well acquainted with the progress of his business and able to give detailed instructions upon all work he had in hand so that although mr bain was in germany it was not the less shadrach bain's intellect which ruled in the bunkhampton office his clients could hardly feel impatient when his chief clerk read the clear and sharp sentences in which mr bain gave his instructions for the conduct of their affairs upon my word he's a wonderful man they said he never forgets anything such a clear head he had entered upon the third week of this fruitless search had driven and walked to and fro in the scorching august heat amidst the blinding glare of the white dusty streets passing a stranger through curious old towns and taking no more interest in the various pictures that passed before his weary eyes than if he had been amidst sahara's arid waste he was sick at heart and he felt as if he had been wandering up and down this foreign land by road and rail for months instead of weeks the strange diet disagreed with him the unknown tongues tongues that sounded thick fierce and guttural in his ear worried him the sense of failure was the sharpest torture of all never till now had shadrach bane been beaten i hold the secret which will make her my slave if i can find her before she is edmund standon's wife he told himself but if i am too late if she is married before i can overtake them what then why then mused shadrach bane after an interval of deepest thought let me remember how she has cheated me revenge is sweet sir aubrey was a good friend to me it would be hard that i should let his murder go unavenged mr bane had even consulted the police had taken the professional opinion as to his chances of success but the chief of police to whom he applied shrugged his shoulders and gave the applicant no encouragement in the first place he said with official dignity this is a matter in which we could not possibly concern ourselves but as a mere word of friendly advice i may as well tell you that were i in a position to help you such a search would be utterly hopeless when you left antwerp you had already lost the trail 
you had no certain knowledge that the people you want had come to cologne when you left cologne you were completely at sea the time you have spent since is time lost your friends may be in france in switzerland in italy or they may even have gone back to england gone back to england that sentence struck upon mr bain's ear like the vaguely worded counsel of a greek oracle they may have gone back to england a sudden idea struck him he was a fool in these wretched german towns voiceless almost mindless better to fight with weapons he was used to handle this dogged stage-by-stage pursuit had come to nothing he had spent money wearied himself to no end he thanked the german police officer and started that night on his return to england but not to monkhampton beaten and baffled as he had been so far he had no idea of abandoning his search he meant to find lady perriam there was of course little doubt that she would eventually return to the place she had too much at stake to turn wanderer over the face of the earth she would go back to perriam by and by but shadrach bain firmly believed that when she did return there it would be as mr standon's wife this was the contingency which he had to prevent three days journeying by land and sea took him to london where he put up at a private hotel in one of the streets of the strand a comfortable homely place enough which he had been in the habit of using for the last twenty years whenever he had occasion to stay in london he was known here and respected and not overcharged he had the entire use of a small private sitting-room the landlady's own particular parlour which she was too busy to occupy herself without paying for that accommodation the house was quiet and orderly and remote from observation here mr bain felt like the spider in his web he could spin his airy threads securely his first act was to send the following advertisement for insertion in the times newspaper mary tringfold widow now or lately of hilldrop farm near monkhampton may hear of something to her advantage by applying to y at the post-office norfolk street strand if lady perriam is in england mrs tringfold is in england also mr bain reflected and it will be strange if she doesn't fall into the trap i've set for her and answer that letter if she does answer it the rest is easy enough mr bain managed his little plan with the utmost nicety and discretion of course it would not do for him to appear in the transaction if mary tringfold answered that advertisement and asked for an interview with the advertiser a stranger must appear a strange lawyer who would tell her that a small legacy had been left her by a former mistress she had been in service before she married and shadrach bain had her history at his fingers ends it would be worth mr bain's while to give a ten-pound note for the information he wanted and a ten-pound legacy would satisfy mrs stringfold that she had not been duped by the advertiser before handing her this money it would be easy enough for a sharp-witted young man to draw from her all the information she had to give about her mistress and mr standon where they had been where they were their actions in the past and their plans for the future he had a handy tool for this business in the person of his landlady's son a clerk in a lawyer's office the modern type of fast youth who in his own more expressive than elegant phraseology was ready for anything from pitch and toss to manslaughter End of chapters 57 and 58